Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is episode 154. Laval and I are having an awesome conversation with John Johnson, who is one of the founders of PJAM Cycling. So that's P-J-A-M-M cycling.com. It is a online resource uh, which brings you information on all of the toughest and most amazing climbs on bicycle all over the world. So top climbs, toughest climbs, most scenic cycling climbs, and listed and categorized in a whole bunch of different ways all over the globe. This was a really fascinating conversation. It was also extremely fun. So John, thank you very much for making the time to chat with us. We really, really appreciate it. And everybody, thank you for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. State's been supporting the pod for a long time. We love State. They're awesome. The best way to follow along with what State is doing and what they've got going on is to give them a quick follow on social media. So it's State Bicycle Co. And they've got all kinds of new stuff coming out. They're constantly doing like limited editions and collaborations and stuff that is uh, maybe more seasonal. So you definitely want to give them a follow and know what they're up to. And they've recently released a road frame that looks absolutely amazing. Uh, that is carbon fiber. So that's new for state. So check them out. You can also use code audio 100, which will give you a hundred bucks off a bicycle and they have bikes starting at 399. So that is a significant discount. So it's statebicycle.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Dewar Apparel. That's D-U-E-R. D-U-E-R dot C-A is where you can visit Dewar. They are a Canadian brand, very keenly interested in sustainability and they have some of the most awesome looking and comfortable clothing that I have ever seen. It's like a performance apparel um, with a little bit of a uh, dressy spin on it. It's awesome. They have stores in Calgary and Vancouver and you can visit them at doer.ca. Very, very pleased to be working with them and the team there. And lastly, the podcast is brought to you by 4i Technologies. That's the number four and then the letter i four times.com. So 4i.com is where you can visit them. And 4i, if you don't know them, are a major brand in cycling and uh, they are involved in the world tour. They create power meters, heart rate monitors, all kinds of very, very cool tech. They're located close by to our hometown of Calgary, Alberta in Cochrane. And uh, so pleased to be working with 4i. We've mentioned this before. Uh, Very, very stoked. We're going to bring you more information about 4i. We're going to have some cool product giveaways, power meters. So stay tuned very pleased to be working with these organizations and uh, and having them support the podcast. Lastly, thank you everybody for listening. If you're able to give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show, we greatly appreciate that. Help That helps us find new listeners and it's really the best way for a podcast to grow. Positive ratings and reviews and uh, just word of mouth. So thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. You know, now we're back to kind of normal and I'm an old school. I'm definitely old school. I've taken you know, well over a thousand depositions where you question people, you know, under oath. And I cannot, I do not like doing it over this Zoom thing because it's just, you know, shit happens, problems arise. You can't deal with documents back and forth. And I'm in the midst of a legal battle with an attorney in a big case where there's thousands of documents where he's insisting that his client is not going to present that I have to do the deposition by zoom. So we're actually going to have to have a court decide whether I can take the deposition of this party in person versus having to go through this tortured process of, uh, which is very convenient. And how could we ever get together and like exchange information and essentially in person like this without these uh, technical abilities 
Um, but in a, in the law setting and questioning a witness, it's very difficult. So that's my little rant about technology. <laughs> but I well, totally it's not perfect. I, it's not. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting segue into my this. I was listening to a book this morning. Uh, it's called Every Patient Tells a Story when I was out for my run. And they're talking about how telemedicine now is trying to replace the the personal interview you have with your doctor and how critical it is that a doctor actually sees you enter the office, hang out your jacket, get up from your chair. Um, they can tell so much just from actually seeing somebody. I'm sure you as a lawyer, John, can tell so much from the way somebody's seated, the way they're maybe perspiring, the way they're fidgeting, the way they're looking at their lawyer, that, you know, it's this reliance on technology is a real pain for sure. And you don't get that, um, that true feeling either for a client in your case that you're deposing or for a patient in the example that I gave. Yeah. And, yeah, that reminds me. I, I, when I was doing one of these few depositions by Zoom that I hate, I, I really, I called this attorney on it, but, you know, he wouldn't respond. But I felt and I really believe that he was texting his client answers because um, the client kept looking down at his, you know, at what it probably was his phone. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's there you go. <laughs> that's a little rant. Okay, well, and we both we've we've all had our techno. What's go that? ahead, go ahead. I apologize for uh, look. I always look shitty anyway, but it's even worse. It's exacerbated today by the fact that I've had you know oral surgeon carbon at my bone in my mouth. You know, the older you get, you guys are young. You're so fortunate and blessed, but shit has fallen out of my body. You know, <laughs> and it really sucks. <laughs> Well, I think you look beautiful this morning, John. So you either have a good camera or you're exaggerating how bad your surgery was because you look damn fine to me. Damn. Now you're sounding like my wife that I met in middle school, you know, <laughs> the marriage you she lies all the time too. I love her. <laughs> so Pete Pete has a has a really interesting connection to climbing on a bike because he hosts another podcast because he's not busy enough called the Everesting Podcast. And you know what that is, uh -huh. where people ride up and down a mountain repeatedly until you've gained 8,848 meters. So um, when, when I had known about PJAM cycling for quite a while, and I just introduced Pete to it, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago. And he's like, what the hell? I'd never even heard of this. And then he just went full PJAM deep dive wormhole. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't believe that that escaped my radar to, for this long yeah. somehow. Because there's two, well, there's, there's cyclists and there's people who are sort of obsessed with the climbing realm, which is a whole different breed of cyclists, a, a subgenre of cyclists that you have seemed to fully, fully embraced. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you never, you must not have ever uh, Googled like hardest climbs in France, hardest climbs in Italy, hardest climbs in California, hardest climbs in Canada, because I think we would come up, we come up number one, you know, we really do have good seo standing for that stuff well on that note let's talk about how you uh what your your story is um john now you know what i did this morning I'm, i was being a little nefarious and i decided to use that awful chat gbt to see what i could find out about you so the first the first thing i typed in was uh what does pjam mean and I, f I figured out what it stood for eventually because i saw your signature line when shaney sent me that email but it said that PJAM was started by a guy named Michael Sturgill, 
and that P <laughs> and that PJAM stands for profile. Yeah, profile journals by a man named Michael, and I know that's complete <laughs> bullshit. So, 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 so I did further digging, and then I typed in John Johnson PJAM, and here's what I got from ChatGBT. With a profound understanding of cycling climbs from all corners of the globe, John has curated detailed profiles, statistics, and maps to guide fellow cyclists in their quest for unforgettable journeys. Whether you're seeking epic mountain passes or exploring famous climbs from professional races, John Johnson's experience and dedication have been pivotal in making PJAM Cycling a go-to platform for cyclists worldwide. So there you go. Holy shit! I could... Well, there you go. Artificial intelligence. No more lawyers not, required. I couldn't have done better <laughs> than that. I'm gonna, wow. Right. That's amazing. Tell yeah. us about this. How did you get started in, in the foremost cycling website site on climbing up mountains? Yeah. Well, um, I started cycling probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago um, when my hips gave out, right? So I started one of my par law partners is a big cyclist. He's a historian. He just, he just collects, you know, steel bikes and just loves it. So he goes, Hey, let's go ride up Los Alamos. We'll just ride climbing our, um, in our town. And so I did it and I go, yeah, this is, I really cycling is awesome. So then I started, I bought a bike, started cycling and I'm really into efficiency. Um, and so I started climbing hills, you know, for the workout and then I got John Summerson's book, um, which is John Summerson is a, a an author. He's a seminal author in in the United States for cycling, uh, cycle climbing by bike, uh, road bike. And he has a he had a top 100 list that had the top 100 climbs in the U.S. So I started I bought a bike uh, bag and started flying around to locations to ride, and then it started getting expensive. Okay. And this has got to be off the record because I don't want the IRS coming back on me. So it's, it got expensive. <laughs> and so I said, well, maybe I'm going to just make up this bit, this, this, uh, I want to, I'll make up a business so I can write off my travel. And so I figured out how to do a website. I built a website. I had never done it. It was just a static GoDaddy basic, um, Static is what they call it. So it was just, I created some spreadsheets, put some photos on, made a bunch of pages, and then, you know, listed from John Summerson and through the Feats Index, which is on Ride with GPS, kind of identified uh, the top climbs in California and the United States. And and I was following it on um, on Google, their analytics, and the thing started taken off you know getting traction because there, i don't think that there had been anything before where they were really listing mathematically the the climbs and then i thought well you know and then i hired a guy that really knew what he was doing to uh create a website a friend of mine's son who just got out of uh he just got his master's in computer programming so i hired him about seven years ago and he's still with me to build the thing into something more than just a static schlock lawyer built uh, website and then started traveling more throughout the world since it was catching on in the U S I thought, well, maybe I'll just pay, be able to write off my, my trips to 
you know, Japan and, and Chile and I don't know, you know, Indonesia, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that developed from there. That's, that's pretty much how it got started as my effort to cheat the, uh, the federal government of the United <laughs> States of America, <laughs> even before Trump started cheating it, you know? Yeah. but let's not get into it. I love it. I'm from California. All right. And I hate talking to you there. You know? I love it. I do too. I might end up, if he's elected, I'm, I want a home in Calgary. I want you to welcome me because we'll I set it up. You. Yeah, we'll build it. Want- <laughs> you can, you but, can come. But I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty awesome story. So tell us about the mathematics of how uh, you figured this, this formula out to rate things and, and yeah. have, have, mm-hmm. has that evolved? Like, have you changed the formula since you started the website? Yeah. So, so when I started this, I started the website in July of um, 2013. That's when I launched it. And when I was kind of putting the spreadsheets together, I thought, well, okay, if I just say, if John Johnson says, oh, this is the hardest climb, you're always going to get, it's, it's never going to be accurate because you can't know everything and it's always going to be open to debate. Right. So I, I decided early on, I need a mathematical formula. So I poked around and I found the feats index, which is, um, it's a formula. It's a, that's what ride with GPS use, uses. And I think climb by bike uses it too. So it was, you know, it was accepted. And so I started using that and it does have its flaws. Um, particularly in relation to it doesn't exclude the sense and it I don't think it accurately and it's not precise enough with respect to the effective altitude on um, on cycling and any type of fitness you know and or recreation or athletic endeavor so but I it was there and it was easy and so I used it now with respect to whether it's been modified no we haven't because but we five years ago, we did develop a much more robust and accurate formula, but we haven't instituted it because it would require me to go in and manually adjust about 5,000 pages of summaries that I've written before. And I just don't have the time for it. But we call it the PGM index. And in retrospect, we should have done it because it would be the seminal um, formula now for for climbing and it would give us more um legitimacy and we were already legitimate but it would give us more um more uh standing in the climbing community to have our own to have our index be the seminal index you know the go-to index for for uh climbing and and rating climbs but that's that's the history and that's where it's at now why uh why is it different than from feats because you're more granular in your proposed way of of measuring these climbs you're going to give more details like you said about any descents and that type of thing matt the the computer guy the math guy he he took out he eliminated the uh descent so he put a, a algorithm in there that eliminates descents he included uh he did the research and figured out in his opinion, anyway, 
how much energy and effort is involved in flats. And then he refined the altitude component. Um, so there were three changes that he made that it made that makes it it really does make it a more accurate index than the feats index. Um, on that note, the hardest climb in the world that you guys have listed on PJAM, which is, is Mauna Kea in, in your country, in, uh, in the U.S., in, in, in the Big Island of Hawaii, um, that one is uh, notorious. I think it's about 100, about 100 kilometers long or 90-some kilometers long, starting at sea level and going to just under 14,000 feet. I think it's a 13,900-foot elevation uh, gain. Is that roughly what it is, John? Yeah, thirteen seven sixty two or something in that ballpark, but it's it's around there, yeah. And then um, the the second hardest climb. What, do you remember off the top of your head what that is? Yeah, I think it's Babasar Pass in um, in the Asir Mountains in Saudi Arabia. Now, you you on your website or on uh, the story about your your uh, journey with cancer talked about that being one of your goals, one of the climbs in in the the mountains of Saudi Arabia. Is that one of them that you uh, you listed as one of your goals? The, well, the, that goal was number five, and it was um, it was just to do all of the climbs in the Asir Mountains because they're just they're unbelievably impossible. They're very difficult, and it's not just Babasar. There's Rodham. Uh, pass. It's not a pass. It's a climb, but that has the steepest mile in the world. Um, they're just yeah. So it, the Asir Mountains was part of my uh, my one of my goals for my cancer thing. If I lived through it, mm-hmm. and you obviously have because you're joining us on the podcast. Yeah, so that's a good this sign. Is, oh, this isn't my. I have a cycling over cancer gear too, but I thought this was it. No, yeah, I made it. <laughs> so and, far. and how are you feeling now? Have you recovered? Yeah. Your strength yep. is back? Yep, yep. Yeah, it's all I, I I did have um one of the one of the things that I had with this cancer, this lymphoma, and I just thought I was getting old, but I was really getting like I swim a lot too, and I was having a hard time, you know, swimming and just not having to stop and breathe. You know, I had to stop and breathe and then it, anyway, it turns out that I had lymphoma and we found, luckily we found out, I got really lucky. It's a kind of a funny, it's a stupid John story. Like the two things with me is I got like tons of stupid John stories and shit always happens on a PGM cycling adventure. It's just without fail, it happens. But anyway, I got lucky and we, we identified the cancer before it killed me. And then, um, but one of the things with the treatment, either the treatment or the cancer, I forget now, but I got, um, I got anemia, you know? And so that really was tough doing these, um, these, these challenges. Like I did Pikes Peak and Mount Evans. Those are really high, but it, with the anemia, you know, and the low blood red cells, it was really hard to no do shit. that, uh, altitude stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, the Asir mountains was, was one of, uh, one of my six challenges. Mauna Kea doing Mauna Kea for the fifth time was fifth number six here. So I wow. checked them all. Off. Now I got to come up with something new to kill myself. Oh, we just went down to Bolivia and did the death road. And that I was, 
that freaking thing, I love that. And I took a bunch of guys down there and they just, they said it was life altering. You know, it was really turned out great. It's just an amazing climb, you know, an experience. Down on the yeah, Pause, I watched, Pause. I watched, I watched the video on it and I've been, I've climbed in Bolivia, but I've never been into sort of the tropical part of Bolivia. And, um, that looks like an unbelievable road. But before we talk about the death row, let's just come right back to that. You talked about the steepest mile in the world. So uh, 1.6 kilometers for Canadians. Uh, Pete, you know about sort of the the test climb around here in the Canadian Rockies. This part of the Canadian Rockies where we live in, in, in Alberta is called Highwood Pass. It's not a very difficult climb, but people use it as a as a real testing ground. It's not that high. It's the highest paved road in Canada. It takes us up to about 7,000 feet, if I remember right, above sea level. But uh, it's not high like Colorado or, or some parts of California. But uh, do you know roughly how steep that is, Pete, the, uh, the Highwood Pass? Oh, uh, like in a percentage? I think the steep side is only like an average of 4.7 or something like that. Yeah, so okay. Steep. Yeah, again, not it very gets steep. up to maybe ramps of maybe 8%, but for okay. short periods of time. So not particularly. It's not, both sides are on the website. The, the PGM, yeah. that's the PGM uh, site. And I so tell us, a- tell us about the steepest, steepest uh, one mile in the world. How steep is that? Like 25%, 22%? No, 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 it's not. It's probably not. It gets up to over 30% in, in spots, but it, I think it's like 18 and some change. But, you know, 18% average, well, no, shit, I think it is 25%. I do think it is 25%, yeah. I was thinking of the, the steepest climbs, like Scanupia and Animus, you know, Spain and Italy. Those are four miles at 18%. Yeah, so Rodham is <laughs> it's about 20 I think you're right. It is about 25 And Scanupia hits 33.3% for a few I don't know, 100 meters or something on it. That is insane. Have you climbed that? Yeah, I did, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I, I swear too much. I That's when I would swear. I, my wife and I went over and we were kind of cruising around Italy and, you know, doing stuff, doing climbs and whatnot. And I bet uh, that was, I can't believe it was so stupid. I knew the thing is brutal, right? It is just brutal. But I and so I rented a bike. I rented a mountain bike at our from our hotel. <laughs> the thing weighed about, I mean, you know, I want to say 50 pounds, but it probably weighed 28 pounds. You know, it didn't have the right gearing. But back then, my bike, you know, my road bike, there's no way I had a 32 on the back. No way. Now I have a 42 on the back and that I could do it. I could do Scanupi on my 42 but not with my rope so i rented it and it was a bitch you know it, it was just a bitch and and there and it is yeah i made it the whole way i had to stop one point on one of those steep grades and i did back then i had a little garmin thing and so i i go okay this is how you start on a 30 percent grade and you know and i got started i actually got started on the damn thing and i videoed it but um, yeah, Scanupia is awesome. But it's it's interesting because as you guys probably follow GCN, and they did they have Scanupia up there as as their steepest um, climb. 
I think anyway, at one point they did. Mm-hmm, and they and it, it's the thing is, I think it's illegal to ride your bike on there, you know, because the first time I did it, there was. Um, they had a 45 percent grade, which is BS, right? Yeah. That's probably just maybe even if it's true, it's it's on one of the curves on the inside. But the whole thing's cement because once you go over 30%, you can't keep asphalt, right? Mm-hmm. It's just going to slide down the mountain. So the whole thing's cement. And the second time I went back, they had a, you know, a sign with a circle on it, a red circle and a bike in the middle, which I just like go, oh, that must just be like caution <laughs> if you're riding your bike, right? That's what I was going to tell them if they stopped me. But you know, hardly anybody lives up there. And and when I was doing it, the people would wave and they were really cool about it. You know, it was only five people I ran into. But then now, I mean, we put it on the website and like thousands and tens of thousands of people go to that page and GCN has it on there. I can't believe that, you know, you don't get daily cyclists going up and down Scanupia when there's a sign at the bottom that says no bikes. I'm just waiting for somebody to email me and go you know you better take this down or we're going to sue you or whatever because occasionally we do like i'll do climbs on on open roads where people just they don't want cyclists and they'll email me and go you know they're not very nice about it they essentially threaten me with lawsuits and all sorts of stupid stuff but yeah so scanupia i've done it it's really awesome and I, I can't believe they hadn't put a gate down at the bottom because there's got to be thousands of cyclists going up and down the thing now with all the notoriety it's got. 33%. Insanity. You yeah. You're a wheel on the ground that, at 33%. I don't. Yeah. What, good, yeah. What's the steepest? What's the steepest that you guys have been on? Uh, 27. Probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, probably on, on 20. A road bike? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably 20, 22. I did a, for a very short period of time. I did a really tough climb into the uh, Sierra Maestra mountains of Cuba in uh, March. I, I rode the length of the island of Cuba and we went into the mountains where Fidel Castro's camp was, where he was hiding out during the revolution. And there's a, a very steep road there that's that it's concrete and it's got the, the lines across it for, for runoff. And um, yeah. it was very steep. It was uphill both ways, John. It was one of those roads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think once you hit about 26 or 27, just like you were saying, Pete, you got to be up over the front of your bike or it's going to tip over on you, you know? It's one of those things where you're starting to get the uplift. Yeah, for Mona Kia, a- what did you use on your uh, for your, your biggest uh, cassette ring in the back on Mona Kia? Did you use a gravel bike or a mountain bike? Or You've done it five times, so... Yeah. Well, I first did it when I was a much younger man. I think I was 53 or 54. And, um, and I just, I used a road bike with a 27 on the back, you know, thirty four. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But I was in great shape. I, for, you know, definitely not the person I used to be, but, um, and then, you know, you swap out for the four miles, there's four miles of law la- of lava dust. Um, very difficult and so i swapped out to a mountain bike my first right three times and then i used the gravel i just changed wheels on my second uh my fourth and fifth times to 40s 38s and 40s on the back 
not as good as a mountain bike, but it's a lot easier to just take one bike, you know, and swap oh, yeah. the wheel off on the bike. Tell us about uh, the death road in Bolivia. So for, for people who are uh, not familiar with this, this is a jungle road, probably what a couple hours drive from La Paz into the mountains, down from La Paz into the mountains. Yeah. La Paz is the highest city in the world. And, you know, it's at about 11,000 feet. No, no, 13. I think it's around 13,000 feet. Yeah, you got to, you go highway, you go out of La Paz, which La Paz is just like, it is the worst place to drive in the world. I love driving there, man. Freaking (laughs) love it. Because I'm just one of the locals, man. When we're out there, it's like beep, beep. And, you know, everybody's cruising. Nobody gives a shit about green lights or anything like that it is is, but you cannot be in a hurry if you're trying to get out of la paz so anyway so yeah you drive out of la paz and you go to this town called corioco and you know you really it'd be hard to go from la paz and just go to the start of the death road you got to stay overnight you should stay overnight in corioco and then get up and then you go down to the start um in yolosa i believe it is or yogosa and, and you start there. Um, and it is, that's, I don't know, it's probably 5,000 feet or 4,000. But it is, yeah, it's way, way down from La Paz. And, and then you just start on this amazing journey. through Just like Jurassic Park. Um, you're in a jungle. The, the cliffs are just, there's sheer walls on the left as, as you're going up. And it's all covered with vines and all the stuff that's in the jungle, ferns. And the other side is exactly the same, except it's all down, you know? And you got this little strip of dirt um, that you have to stay on, which is not hard, you know? It's Maybe it's 10 feet wide, 12 feet wide. It's not hard on a bike. And I've, dr- I've drove it, I've driven it in a, I've driven a vehicle on it, you know? So I've been all over that thing six times. And... Um, and it's just, it's an unbelievable, and you got waterfalls coming down, you got to ride through them, could cross streams. Um, and, and it's just, it's, 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 that's for the first 19 miles. And then the last 19 miles are on the new highway, highway three, which is its own little slice of uh, adventure, <laughs> but, but for a different reason, man, you got, it is crazy out there. It's just fucking crazy. <laughs> But I love the whole thing, you know, and then you got to get up to 16,000 feet or 15,500 or whatnot. Um, but, and, and then you go along the death road and there's crosses, you know, on the old crosses, like really mossy wooden crosses and stuff. And, you know, my, our guide, the last time, the guy that we had, um, Cello, Marcello, who's, he was a Bolivian national champion. He's an awesome guy. And we just lucked into having him as our, our SAG and our guide. He rode with us, actually. Um, but he had the whole history of how it was created, built by, you know, um, Peruvian prisoners and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and then according to Cello, you know, the, it got the name the Death Road when because this used to be the main pass from one part of Bolivia to another. So it got a lot of traffic, but the thing, I mean, it's, it's anyway, it's just insane, but buses would drive on there. 
and two buses apparently. And Marcello says, yeah, they were driving and they crashed. It was foggy at night and they didn't have their lights on. They both went off and 120 people died. And he goes, and then somebody kind of goes, you know, and he goes, yeah, that's driving in Bolivia, you know? And, and then it got, after that, it was just known as the death road. And then many, many people have gone off, you know, and they have, and he says there's even where people have gone off on bicycles because now people come down all the time and they go down the thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes up it. Nobody goes up it. I mean, very few people. I'm sure people go up it, but very most. You always run into a lot, you know, a hundred or so um, tour people coming down, just like on Haleakala over on, uh, and maybe you guys have them in Canada. There are certain long descent. Uh, they can be climbs, but in reverse or descents where it's cool. And I'm sure it's fun. I've never done it, but where you take people that aren't really in shape or maybe they are, and they just don't want to ride up and you give, give them mountain bikes you, and then you, you put helmets on them and warm jackets. And then they just ride down. You know, there's a, in, in Hawaii, Haleakala is a 10,000 foot descent over 36 miles. And they do that there. And then the death road is the same thing thing you know it's 19 miles down downhill so many many people can do it but many many people have died doing it and according to cello there's i mean you have america corner israel corner japan corner where all these foreign people have gone off and died and they named them after the country that they're from you know so tell us there's no canadian corner there there, he didn't mention it. I could email him and ask him. <laughs> but I guarantee you that tons of people from Canada have done this. It's, it's very popular throughout the world, you know, um, for the downhill stuff. But, yeah, I love, love, love the death road. It is, and I'm trying to do tours down there. I want to do tours because, number one, I want to help Marcello out because it would be a good business for him. Number two, I'm going to help out my buddy, my very good friend, who's a photographer and videographer from Columbia, who travels around with me, Javier. He, we just got back from Europe. Um, I want to help those guys out. And I, it would just be so freaking cool to go down there a couple of times a year and do tours. I wouldn't ride it. I would just help people out. I just love doing it. You know, It's fun. The whole experience is fun. And we went. It was snowed in. They have the highest... Uh, it used to be the highest um, ski resort in the world, Chacatelia, just out of La Paz. And so there's a road up to it. It's abandoned because it used to be a glacier, but because of global warming, it's gone. Um, but there's an abandoned road. And so we were going to ride that while we were down there. And ironically, <laughs> they had a 10-year snowstorm. And so the oh. freaking thing was put in. So we hiked it. We, we, we went all the way to the top and it's just unbelievable. So the whole ambiance and experiences and then Lake Titicaca is the highest navigable lake in the world. La Paz is such a cool place. It's the highest city in the world. You got the most epic climb in the world and you have the highest ski resort. And it seems like, you know, people would really want to do that. And so anyway, I love it so much that I do want to keep going down there while I can just to experience it and help my friends out. Yeah. Just even the markets in La Paz and I've been there, they sell like the uh, llama embryos and the, 
And it's just such an interesting place. It's just, it's such a riot of colors and different people, the Quechua and the Ayamara, and it's, it's a, a spectacular place. Yeah, that's good knowledge. And from my experience in travels, you, you've traveled more than I have, but I've traveled a fair amount in the world and it's the most um, authentic, you know, I mean, people dress authentically there, yes. you know, 25 to 30% of all the people are dressed in the old school stuff. And it is just so authentic and traditional, you know, just don't get me started. Well, you already did. And you see what happens. I just love it down there. Love it so much. But isn't that nice when you have a when you when you have a a passion that doesn't that isn't just golf, for example. It's it's it, it's a thing where you go out, you get a workout in, you go to these beautiful remote parts of the world, and you talk about the La Paz area. It's got everything right there. These high roads, these these jungle roads. The you're up on the Altiplano. Um, I really want our listeners to go Google the Death Road in Bolivia and see what it looks like. There's no guardrails vertical cliffs tumbling off the either side of this crappy little road and uh, it's on my list for sure john so i'll be picking your brain when i head over there because as a airline employee i can fly for next to nothing so i'll be heading out there well i'm there excellent um pete you must have an everston question about who's everston on these roads has anybody used them uh, yeah, you kind of read my mind. I did. I did want to ask you if, uh, in your opinion, which which of the harder ones are suitable for Everesting? Like Mauna Kea is completely not suitable because you'd need to do it <laughs> twice, um, tw twice in full. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. Um, no way to set up. Yeah. You'd need all kinds of crazy support and stuff. So, which ones stand out to you as something that's that's repeatable too? Because the way that you've categorized the difficulty includes distance, right? So the best Everesting hills usually aren't the longest ones. So I'm wondering where that kind of meets in your mind. Look, Pete, hold on. What's going on here? Hold on. Did we lose? Did we lose Pete? Oh, there we go. No, I had a call. A call came in that I exited out of, and so I I lost that first, the last part, Pete. After you you said, you know, the length is important. Yeah, it is because you can't, I mean, you, for the, the average person who's doing an Everesting, they, they're using like a car as perhaps a base camp or they're, you know, at the foot of a hotel or something like that. But it's not advantageous to do two repeats. It's better to do 25, 30, 40, 50, something like that, where you can keep returning mm -hmm. and having a shorter and a steeper climb. But now you're, you're calculating the, the difficulty of a climb. Uh, including the distance and the duration that it takes, right? So where does where do those mm -hmm. things kind of meet? And is there a hill that would stand out to you that would be perfect for everyone? Yeah, yeah. I um, well, number one, one of my buddies that I travel around with, he's 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 insane. You know, I, there's tons of well, everybody you meet that's in the everything uh, genre is insane. Okay, number one including me that was my fourth challenge for cancer but um <laughs> the but my buddy my buddy luke he shit he did he's done haleakala four times so i don't know what that is well it's forty thousand feet so it wasn't he we went and did it one the first time he did it he just did an everest and he goes oh well that's not enough i gotta go back and do it again blah 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 and then when we were doing mauna kea this last time we there were a bunch of us and so this crazy Frenchman and Luke, so we go, and I'm, of course, last. 
you know, for a number of reasons and getting up there. And then, you know, these crazy guys are come flying down Mauna Kea and one of them's Luke. I go, Hey dude, where are you going? You know, why aren't you waiting for me? He goes, well, I don't have four hours to waste up on top of Mauna Kea. He didn't say that, but he could have. <laughs> but, and, and so he, I go, dude, where the, where are you going? And he goes, Oh, um, Erwin and I, we're going to go, we're going to go and go ride up Mauna Loa. That's the longest one in the world. And, and, and I go, oh, that's, that's nice. I'll, I'll meet you over there in the fucking car. And, and he goes, well, don't bother because then we're going to ride down and we're going to ride to the other side of the island. So we're going to start, we're going to, we all have dipped our toe in, in Hilo, then gone up Mauna Kea, gone up Mauna Loa, and then we're going to ride to the other side of the island and dip our toe on the other side. And they did it, you know. I think that was like an Everest too, but that's insane stuff. So getting back to the, the thing, I think that, um, I think, you know, look, I'm an old man and I'm not a good cyclist anymore, but I, for me, it's like, okay, you know, seven to 10 miles at five to 6% with no descent, smooth road, not a lot of winding stuff, you know? So we did Incidental Canyon which I didn't even do the research on it. Just one of the guys go, Hey, this John, this is what we should do. And I go, fine, let's go do it. Well, that one didn't turn out to be good. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't a good one for Everest, but you know, it kind of on the face of it fit into the category, but it was too windy on the, and I was getting tired and coming down. It's, it's too hard. Um, but so I would have to think about, and you don't want altitude, right? Because that's going to mess you up. So, I I'd have to think about. Are you asking me what I would I think is a good um, Everesting road, or just my criteria for it? Well, out of some of the P Jam hardest climbs, is there one in there that you think makes sense for Everesting? That anybody can make one make sense, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you mean as far as well, this would be good for a challenge. I think Mauna Kea would be a good one for some freaking stud to go do it. Anything that nobody's Unless. done, you know, some crazy people like go do Rodham Pass in the Sear Mountains, just off the charts insane. If I was fit, I don't even know if I could ever have done that in my life, but that's what I would do. I would just pick one of the freaking hardest things in the world and just go do it, you know, the yeah, hardest. Comments one. is going to love it. Somebody and somebody's going to. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I got I, and, and look, you know, a lot of people. I couldn't get anybody to go with me to Saudi Arabia to cycle, if you can believe that. Luke, my buddy who goes everywhere with me, he's an emergency room doctor in, in, in Phoenix, and this guy goes everywhere. And so he was going to go with me. We we're going to go, oh, yeah, let's go, to, let's go to Saudi Arabia and cycle in the Sierra Mountains because we had identified that as the hardest area for cycling, climbing, and it is. There's no place harder, but it had not been documented. Like I created almost all of the Strava segments for those climbs over there. You can believe that, you know, but I think it's because Saudi Arabia is misunderstood. Well, okay. The politics over there, I totally understand it. Okay. Don't get me wrong, but, but it isn't dangerous. Well, unless you go over and you're going to smoke some weed or like me, you would have thought about bringing some alcohol in. I told my, and I didn't, but my 
guide told me afterwards, oh, they throw you in jail if you show up with alcohol. So <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't do that. But, but yeah, so I go, Luke, yeah, so we're supposed to be going over there. And then he, he fucking calls me, like, I don't know, a few weeks before he goes, my mom doesn't want me to go. <laughs> I'm not going to go. Uh, what? Five years old. <laughs> wow, these emergency room docs in Phoenix are soft, eh? Yeah, and I want you to give if you can fuck publicly humiliate him, you do it wherever you can. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that uh, Pete, that's I don't know, man. I could look up what would be the best, you know, probably in my opinion. But if it was me, if it was the old John. Not the, if it was the younger John, uh, you know, I already said what I would try and do. So do you get a lot of people reaching out and uh, sort of inspired by the page and compelled to tell you so? That's cool. That's got to mean a lot. I do. But mostly, well, yeah, people just out of the blue go, I love your site. Yeah, like you say. But, but more often it's people asking questions, you know. And I've met like, Three of the guys that went down to Bolivia with us are, I mean, the, the people that I've gotten closest to, and I've gotten close to a lot of people because I love like responding and helping them out and everything. But it's the the guys that want to do Mauna Kea that I really give them a lot of in, input on. And, and we become, I've become close with a lot of people that have gone over and done Mauna Kea. But yeah, we do get a fair amount of people that reach out and say, hey, thanks, you know. That's awesome. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation, John. I really appreciate you making the time. I know Laval does too. Just super fun. Super. Yeah, fun. you're welcome. Yep, yep. No problem. Love yeah, John. This this was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's we could go on. This is too short. I want to keep talking, but um, um, just just as a, as a way to wrap it up. I love riding up hills. I love climbing up hills. I like going uphill and, and, and Pete does too, but tell us what it is about it. I think it takes a special individual that likes to grind up a hill. Tell, tell us why, why you like these endless climbs and, and what, what you like about settling into that, into that big rig in the back and just grinding. What, what is it? Yeah. Well, it's a number of things. Number one, like it started out and it still is it's the, it's it's the most efficient way to get a workout on a bike you know you can create the same amount of watts on the flats but it's some for some reason it's just easier to get a good workout by climbing that's number 1 number 2 there's less traffic right as a general rule as a general rule number 3 the scenery is just spectacular depending on where you go like we got we just got back from Europe and I've done all the climbs that we did over there, you know, but, and this time I went over just with some magnificent drone. I bought a new drone. that's got like really high level stuff and Javier was there. So we really documented the hell out of these things, but you go up into these mountains and they're breathtaking, stunning, unparalleled beauty. It just, and you don't get that on the flats as a general rule as a general rule. So those are, those are my reasons for it. Perfect. I love it. I want everybody to go check out P it's pjabcycling.com. You guys have, 
you're selling gear on there. So what's the uh, HDC club, by the way? What does HDC stand for? You guys sell gear that is labeled HDC. Oh, that, that must be Sam. I, that's not part. That's There's another guy that. No, no. Um, no I don't think it's HDC. It's um, TD Sports. Is no, it's I'm sure it's HTC, but your marketing department's getting away on you, man. If you don't know that, you better check that out. You're the boss. Well, yeah, well thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and then additionally, you guys have a fantastic blog on there where for, for people who want to start doing these climbs, go check out John's uh, blog on PJAM Cycling on the website. And they have trip reports from people who have climbed all over the world and then additionally you guys have videos and you have a whole section on drone videos the one especially on the bolivian death road is is absolutely spectacular so check it out and i'm sure we're going to have a lot of people reaching out to you and joining uh pjam to uh for the same reasons that we have yeah the the um i don't know which video you're referring to lavelle but the um there's a video and this is not a marketing thing this is like javier put together an amazing i just love it he, he did a great video but to get to it you have to go and again I, this is not the market but just to expose people to a really cool video you have to click on the the pgm tour at the top of the page you know the pgm pages and then go to the to the video the longer okay. video and it is really he did a great job you know he's, he's a professional so yeah i love it's really it cool. i love it it's inspiring, it's inspiring. Well, hey, listen, you're inspiring not only your uh, your cycling, uh, climbing, the website you put together and your uh, incredible recovery from a tough cancer diagnosis, John, and uh, you've inspired Pete and I, and I bet you've inspired our listeners as well. So thanks for joining us from down in, uh, is it Santa Ana, California? Is that where you are? Not quite that far south, Santa Rosa. We're in Northern okay. California. Okay, there you go. Thanks for joining us and uh, uh, keep climbing up hills. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Our pleasure. All right. Take care. Yeah. Take care. We'll see you.